Welcome to the Happy Me, Happy Earth podcast. I'm your host, Eva Peterson, life coach and Ayurvedic health counselor for changemakers, activists, and advocates. Each week, I'm here to support you in creating the change that you want to see in the world without sacrificing your health and well being. If you are on a mission to make the world a better place, whether you're just starting to get involved or decades deep, you are welcome here. Hello and welcome to episode 17. This is a special one, guys, because 17 has been my lucky number for ever, for so long. And so I wanted to do something a little different, a little special. I want to talk today a bit about my story. I've shared a lot of personal stuff, as you know, probably I'm kind of an open book. I've shared a lot of my personal story on this podcast, but I've never done an episode where I talk just about my story and how I got to where I am today. Why is the work that I'm doing today to help change makers and aspiring activists create change in the world without sacrificing their health, their well-being, without burning out? Why is that so important to me? So I want to share a bit today about my story in a succinct way, of course. <laughs> I'm going to try and keep this to about half an hour, 40 minutes back, so we'll see how it goes. This is also the first episode of 2023, so happy new year. I hope that you're having a wonderful start to your new year. I am recording this on December 30th, just before the new year, but I hope that the new year is finding you very well so far. <laughs> so I wanted to record this episode because these tend to be my favorite podcast episodes. Whenever I find a new podcast, I will go back and look for an episode like this so that I can get to know the host a bit better and connect with them, relate to them a bit more. So I hope that that's what this does for you. I hope that you're able to just know my heart a bit more and why I care about what I care about a bit more. And of course, I can't put 37 years into 30 minutes, but I'm going to try to be focused here and make this pretty succinct for you. So let's go back, shall we? The year is 1985, and I was born in a very rural area of Missouri in a passive solar house that my parents built. They actually at the time had a company that was doing passive solar installations on buildings, which was really cool. And I spent a lot of my youth with my younger sister, she's about three years younger than me, running around in the woods. We were surrounded by acres and acres of woods. I was usually barefoot, clothing optional. I remember when I did start going to daycare, I, I've i seen pictures from that time and I basically never have a shirt on because I just like didn't like to wear clothes. <laughs> But yeah, we would just run around outside pretty much all day. And so long as we were back before dark, our parents were happy. I was raised with a love and respect for nature and for animals. And I am so, so grateful to my parents for that because they really distilled that responsibility that we have to take care of the earth within me at a very young age. They're self-proclaimed hippies and I absolutely love them for it because I am too. They really rubbed off on me in that way. I once wrote a blog post years ago now called Life Before Five Was Perfect. <laughs> because 
My parents got divorced when I was five, and things from that point on really um, took a turn for me. You know, eventually my parents started dating other people, and they got married a second time to, I'll say, unstable people. Their second marriages were really rough, really tumultuous, and that had a big effect on me. So oftentimes these partners, my parents' second partners, would focus their anger and whatnot on me and my sister instead of focusing on their own problems and admitting that that they had problems. And so my response to this was to try and be as perfect as possible. And I basically took on the role of peacemaker in our family, just really trying to smooth things over. I figured that if I was perfect, if I got perfect grades, if I never messed up, then there would be no reason for my step-parents to yell at me. And I could or I tried to just go through life basically being as small and unnoticeable as possible so that I didn't get their anger or or whatnot thrown at me, right? And so I really, I would say, shrank (laughs) during that time. And like many kids of divorced parents, I was shuffled back and forth between houses. Luckily, my parents, my mom and my dad kept a really great relationship. And so we were able to go back and forth between houses and they they supported each other in that way, which I'm also so grateful for. But I had to get very organized at a young age because I would forget stuff at the wrong house, you know, like school projects or like half of an outfit at one house and And so I had to get very organized and my comfort zone became instability, right? Going back and forth between each house and, you know, wherever the step parents lived or or where they were dating lived, all these things. Like it was just, it was a little crazy. And so it's interesting because like later in life, to fast forward a little bit, now I get bored when I'm in a place for too long. So like with, um, like I, I moved around from when I went to college, then when I went to grad school, then after grad school. And if I was anywhere for more than like a couple of years, I would get really, really antsy. And now the past five, almost six years, I've been a nomad. And that life, that nomadic life comes pretty easy to me. It's been my comfort zone for a long time. So I'm really curious. We plan on settling down next year. And at the end of this episode, I'll kind of talk about my future plans. But we plan on settling down later this year. And I'm curious to see how that goes, because like that is out of my comfort zone, settling down somewhere for a long period of time is out of my comfort zone. So that'll be really interesting. But anyway, okay, back to childhood. So around fifth grade, that's about 10 years old here in the US, I became very studious. I decided to just totally distract myself with school. I don't know how conscious this was. Actually, it probably was pretty conscious. But basically, like if I was studying all the time, then I didn't have to deal with all this stuff going on at home. And I decided I was going to, again, just get like perfect grades, not get in trouble because then my step parents couldn't criticize me. And I also, a really great memory from my childhood days was that Earth Day often fell on or around my birthday. My birthday is in April, at the end of April. And there would be this big festival in town, a two-day festival over a weekend closest to Earth Day, where we would 
you know, have all these different booths and activities for kids and play in the park. And it was just so much fun. So I always had this relation of like my birthday to the earth's birthday. And that was also just really special to me. Again, just reinforcing that love for the planet, love for nature. So then I go off to middle school. And when my parents first got divorced, my mom moved into town, a town of about 60,000 people, somewhat close to my dad, where my dad was still living. And during middle school or between elementary school and middle school that summer, we moved houses. And I'll just say this really bluntly. We basically moved from the poor part of town to the rich side of town. And like all of a sudden brand names were a thing and and all of this. Um, And during that time at the beginning of middle school, I met this amazing group of friends and we stuck together through high school. I still see them today. We were just in Missouri last month visiting family and friends and I got to see a lot of them and it was so, so wonderful. By the way, we're now in Colorado. We got here yesterday morning. We took the Amtrak train from Missouri to Colorado. It was really comfortable, really great. I so highly recommend traveling by train if you can, if you're here in the U.S., instead of taking those little, very carbon-intensive flights. So anyway, I digress. Then in college, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. So I still had that environmentalist side of me. And I really enjoyed science and biology and studying nature, those sorts of things. But then I also had this really creative streak. I was always drawing from childhood on. I got into fashion design and I feel like I say fashion design now and like anybody who knows me would like laugh their ass off because I do not care about fashion like really at all these days. (laughs) But yes, so I applied to fashion design school and got in, what? And then also um, applied to some marine biology programs and decided to go the marine biology route. But then pretty quickly realized that's not really what I wanted to do. Not many marine biologists get to like swim around with the dolphins every single day. Most are just sitting in a lab and I was like, that doesn't sound very fun. And Looking back now, and and I realized this then too, I think it is absolutely crazy to ask kids, like 17, 18-year-olds, to make a decision about what they're going to do the rest of their lives, what they want their career to be for the rest of their lives at that young age, before their brains even have finished developing. That's just so crazy to me. And ask kids also, or like expect them to take on these huge student loans in order to pursue that career. Like I took on huge student loans in order to become an architect, but okay. All right, so I digress a little bit again. Basically, I decided I was going to merge that creative side and that scientific loving side of myself and study architecture, specifically sustainable architecture, again, merging that environmentalist part as well. So I decided to go to Texas A&M University, where I studied architecture, and I really thought I was going to save the world through architecture because the amount of resources used to build new buildings, not to mention the operation of buildings, right? The water, the electricity, the propane that's used in operating buildings, like they have, our built environment has a huge environmental impact. And the quality of a person's life is also really influenced by their surrounding, by the built environment. So my plan was to save the world through sustainable 
environmentally accountable, well-designed architecture. And I loved architecture school, but it also like just about destroyed me. So I don't know if any of you out there, well, I do know some of my friends listen to this podcast who are architects as well. And some of my friends who witnessed <laughs> witnessed what I went through in architecture school. But for those of you who do not have a friend or family member who has become an architect, the culture of architecture school is insane. Architecture is seen as your art, your passion, your mission, and nothing else matters. I had this one professor, my studio professor one year, he would come in to studio where we all would work be working on our architecture projects. He would come in around like midnight, 1 a.m. And if you were not there working, he would call your cell phone and be like, am I not giving you enough work? There was one guy in our program or in that studio who was trying to work a side job to help him pay for college. And he said, either quit your job or quit my studio. And that was not just limited to this one professor. That was the culture there. Like you were dedicated. You were not, or I was not sleeping at all. None of my friends were sleeping. We were all super stressed out working night and day. Also around this time, I was, so one summer and then for a full semester where we did like a workaway semester type situation, I was in Nashville, Tennessee, working at an architecture firm there. And while I was there, I I made this group of friends and we would go hiking all the time in the Rocky Mountains and we would go for multi-day backpacking trips. And that was kind of my introduction to that. I had done a ton of hiking all of my life and, you know, been outdoors a ton. But this was like going out with your tent and everything that you need on your back, everything that you need to survive and walking in nature for multiple days, you know, cooking the food that you're carrying. It was so so cool. I absolutely still, to this day, love going on multiple day backpacking trips. That time reawoke my nature-loving spirit and that passion for being outside, for exploring. And so I went to the University of Oregon for graduate school because that was the top school for sustainable architecture. And I decided to take a year off between college and graduate school to do a little bit of traveling, first of all. So that was my first solo travel trip. Originally, my best friend was going to come with me, but because of some personal things that were going on in her life, she wasn't able to. And so I went over to Europe, to Greece and Turkey and Romania, Bulgaria in my first solo trip. And that really (laughs) set the stage for knowing that I could go travel solo, which I did a lot in my later life. But getting back to Oregon, so I moved to Oregon about one year before grad school was going to start in order to get residency there and to work and save up a little bit of money. And so during that time living in Portland, Oregon, I was exploring the Northwest, backpacking every single weekend. I just absolutely loved it. It was so much fun, hiking all the time, just spending so much time in nature. The Northwest of the United States is like my favorite part of the U.S. It's just so incredibly beautiful. And then I went to graduate school. And again, right back into that culture of not sleeping, being incredibly stressed out, working incredibly hard. And I ended up with chronic migraines, really high anxiety. I ended up going to the doctor because the migraines were really getting in the way of my life. And the doctor advised that I start to sleep more and that I reduce my stress. And I told her that that was not possible. 
I needed to get straight A's. I needed to do an excellent job in this program. My self-worth and my identity were completely wrapped around academics, right? So doing well in school because of my childhood and because our culture in general just tends to really put a lot of pressure on and and tell us that our value is based on how productive we are, how good our grades are, where we are in our career, da da da, right? Like there's this one way that our culture defines success. And I had really bought into that. <laughs> and so when the doctor tells me that I basically have to start sleeping and reduce my stress, I just tell her that's not an option. I have to do well in this program. And so she gives me this medication. I gained quite a bit of weight in very short order during that time. And so again, I had this identity around being a very active person, but also like I just fit the mold of what our society said was attractive, right? And that is just a completely arbitrary thing. What our culture says is attractive is not what other cultures say is attractive. And when I say our, I'm just referring to the United States and a lot of those minority world countries. So yeah, I fit into that mold of what was seen as attractive. And then all of a sudden, I didn't. (laughs) All of a sudden, I weighed a lot more. And so I had a bit of an identity crisis around that. So it was kind of a, a crazy time. And I took a weird turn into a very strict religious, some people call it cult, I'll call it church. Basically, I had been raised in the Bible Belt in Missouri. And so... Although my parents weren't super religious, I always considered myself a Christian, but it bothered me for most of my life that I felt I didn't fully know what that meant or fully understand what the Bible said. And so I decided if I'm going to call myself a Christian, I need to like actually live this out and not be a hypocrite. At that time, my roommate was in this very strict church, like a church that was really trying to live according to the Bible. And so I got involved with that and ended up joining that church during my time in Oregon. After we graduated, this was the end of 2011, and towards the tail end of the last major recession, so there were no architecture jobs. Here I have been told that like architecture is like a super great profession, very um, stable, you know, very responsible. And then bam, no jobs when I graduate from school. So I had heard rumblings of like, there are some people still, like there's still quite a bit of work in LA and in New York City, but basically the rest of the country, no, there's, there's no jobs. So I moved to New York City in part for jobs, also because we had a sister church in New York City. And I start working at this furniture store. Maybe some of you guys know it. It's called Restoration Hardware. Um, It was pretty fun. I think I worked there for like three months. And there were all these celebrities because like we're in the middle of New York, you know, so all these celebrities like coming in there and shopping for their high end, crazy expensive furniture. Anyway, not what I wanted to like actually be doing. So I finally got a job at a really excellent architecture firm and continued my very high stress lifestyle because that culture, high stress, high stakes culture of architecture school really goes right on into the architecture profession. And I got off those meds, which was great. 
but I was still experiencing a lot of panic attacks. And I was really trying to push the sustainability agenda at my firm. So trying to help my studio and my firm design more environmentally accountable buildings and then also put some sustainable, more sustainable practices in effect in our office. And I became the lead exam coordinator for our firm and Worldwide, we had about, I think, around a 1,000 employees at that time. And so the lead exam, and to be a lead accredited professional, means that you have a certain level of knowledge in sustainable design. So I was helping people study for that exam and then also get that certification. I also started a equity discussion group all about equity in the workplace, focusing mostly on gender equity If I could do it again, it would also be based around not just gender equity, but anti-racism. But at the time, I was focused on gender equity. Yeah, so I started a discussion group around that. I was part of our sustainability committee, again, trying to push for our firm to create more environmentally accountable buildings. And yeah, a lot of that, like the work I was doing around sustainability and equity, that was extra stuff. I was not getting paid for that. (laughs) So I was working quite a bit of unpaid overtime. Eventually, I did get some of my work around sustainability. I I convinced them to pay me for some of that because I was able to show them the value of it. But for the most part, we're not getting paid for this. But I really felt like I was not effectively creating change. I was doing all of these things, but it felt like I was hitting my head against a wall and I didn't feel like I was actually making a difference there. And then after work, my life was all about the church. Almost every single night I was at a church event or studying the Bible with somebody. Um, I eventually got to where I was like leading our singles ministry and then our arts ministry. And Also, at this time, I was studying for my architecture licensing exams. So when you finish up architecture school, you then have to take seven very difficult licensing exams before you become an architect. And most people will fail at least a few of these, but you have to take them all within five years. So I was doing that, pursuing these exams, taking one after the other, studying, and all the while feeling guilty because I wasn't doing more for the climate and more for social justice. And I just burnt out. I burnt out. I would kind of recover. I would burn out again, kind of recover, burn out again. I was having major anxiety attacks. And finally, I realized like I was going to need to take care of my health if I was going to be able to create the change that I wanted to see in the world and also just like survive, like just survive corporate life. I needed to take better care of my health. So I found this awesome naturopath. She was also an MD and she was able to identify some nutrition deficiencies that I had and help me with that. At the time, I was still really uncomfortable with my weight. I, my first few years in New York, tried every diet under the sun and was just kind of yo-yo dieting, like like back and forth, um, my body really fluctuating and nothing really worked. And now I am like so grateful that it didn't work because what I finally did was instead of focusing on trying to make my body conform to the social norms and whatnot, I decided to switch my focus to self-acceptance and body 
acceptance. And that was a years long journey. I was really focused on self-acceptance, body acceptance for probably like two or three years. And I'm so grateful I was. And I realized that my body was doing the best that it could and was responding in a healthy way to the amount of stress that I was putting it through. And so I learned to really love myself, love my body during that time. And it's really served me the rest of my life. But... I didn't know how to slow down. I knew I needed to make a change, but I didn't really know how to slow down. And then finally, I finished my architecture licensing exams and I could finally breathe again. I was still really busy, but it did free up some extra time. And I was finally able to start like thinking a bit more about like about my life, about my future, about what I wanted. And the church that I was in really started to not feel right to me anymore. There were some big existential questions that the Bible couldn't answer, that church elders couldn't really answer for me. And it just started to feel wrong in my soul to stay in that church. And I started for the first time in a very long time listening to myself, listening to my inner voice, my intuition. So I decided to leave the church And I lost a lot of friends, the large majority of my friends in New York. And I also moved out of my apartment because I had been living with other people from that church. And so again, I had a bit of an identity crisis because I was like, what do I believe now? Like, what is the right path? I grappled with those questions for a long time, for years. And I still do think about them from time to time. But now just in case this is helpful, what I've settled on is I don't need to know what's going on in the world. Like I probably never will know. And when I say what's going on in the world, I mean like the bigger picture. Like I don't know if there is something bigger than me, (laughs) something bigger than what I can see or sense with my five senses going on. I think there is, but I'm not sure. And there's this podcast I used to listen to all the time, You Made It Weird by Pete Holmes. He used to say, Trying to understand the universe is like a dog trying to understand the internet. (laughs) It's just so big and so beyond our capacity to understand. So that's kind of what I think now. I could choose to believe something else. I could choose to believe that nothing's going on, like an agnostic or, or an atheist. But I think that that would take just as much faith. And so now I just have no need to label myself or to label like my approach to spirituality anymore, even though I do consider myself a very spiritual person. And so letting go of that need to figure out what's going on in the world and define it was a huge weight off of my shoulders that has, again, just really served me throughout the rest of my life um, up until this point. So I leave that church, I have more time, and I dive into activism. I was helping with clothing and stuff swaps on the weekends with farmer's markets, um, joining more demonstrations, actions, protests. I was also hiking a lot more. Pretty much every single weekend, I would either take the Metro North train up into, you know, upstate New York and go hiking up there, or I would take long, long walks along the Hudson River. I just felt so nature starved in New York and I felt very stuck. I felt like I was not making a difference in my job, not making a difference in architecture. And I realized that I did not want 
that corporate life. I felt like it was killing me. And okay, I have friends who have stuck to the corporate world and are doing great and are thriving in it, but that was not me. I felt like that that corporate patriarchal structure, capitalist structure was just literally like draining my soul. I realized, wow, okay, I don't want to be an architect, a corporate architect my whole life. And so again, identity crisis, you're going to see that that's a theme that comes up for me time and time again. I was like, what do I want to do next? Like, who am I if I'm not an architect? What is my life purpose? Because at that time, I defined my life purpose and my career as like one thing. I saw those things as one in the same. I don't now. So now what I consider my life purpose, you might call it, I actually don't like that terminology, but I won't get into that now. But I, I've unmeshed those. <laughs> my life purpose and my career are different things. My career is just one way that I can express my life purpose. But my life purpose is so much bigger than my career. But at the time, I didn't see it that way. I saw my career as an architect, as my life purpose, as my identity. And so when I realized I wanted to leave that, whoa, it was a big deal for me. And I kept asking the question of like, how can I truly help people? I was designing hospitals, which of course we need and they are helpful. And I was also spending a lot of time designing senior living facilities for rich white people. And in school, I had really wanted to work on low income housing and, and sustainable projects, right? But that's not the environment that I was in. And so around this time, I hired my very first life coach because so I, I knew I wanted to leave. I didn't know what I wanted to do next, but I also had this, this, this knowing that I needed to get healthy, get happy where I was, because if I just switched, say I switched architecture firms or I switched careers or I, I went to travel, like I knew that I would still be me in that next phase of life. If I, could get happy and healthy where I was, then I would be able to go into my next phase of life happier and healthier. If I didn't, then there's this, there's this uh, book called Wherever You Go, There You Are. I would just be me, my unhealthy, <laughs> unhappy self, like in another environment, right? I believe that book is by John Kabat-Zinn. I'm pretty sure. I'll put a link to it because it's a, a wonderful book. I realized that I I could get happy and healthy there, and I did. I, I really changed some things in my life and, and was recovering my health, and that was great. But I also realized that I didn't have the space to figure out what I wanted to do next while being in such an intense environment. And so I decided to go ahead and take the leap and leave. <laughs> I decided I was going to go travel. Around that time, many of my friends asked me, like, how can you afford to do that? How in the world can you make this happen? So one of the first things that I did about a year and a half before I actually left was I got my finances in order. I stopped buying shit. Like, that's what it came down to. I just stopped buying stuff. And I went from living month to month to saving over $1,000 a month. And this was not like, I didn't get some big raise or anything like that. I might have, I probably did get a little raise in that year and a half, but the savings were not due to a raise. They were due to 
not buying anything and becoming much more conscious around my finances. And again, that is something <laughs> that that time in my life where I really focus on finances has really served me in the future. So fast forward to May 2017, almost six years ago now, I left my job. I sold all of my belongings or well, I took most of them to Goodwill and I decided to peace out. I went from really following and climbing up that corporate ladder, doing everything that people say you're supposed to do, right? Get good grades, go to college, go to grad school, get the fancy New York job. I went through all of that and just decided to leap off the ladder and do my own thing. And I ended up spending a month with my family in Missouri, and then I took a one-way ticket to Southeast Asia. And for the first few months, I was traveling on savings, decompressing, exposing myself to different cultures, different ways of being, different ways of life, and just soaking up everything like a sponge. But I had this question in the back of my mind because I knew I knew I wanted to get back into some sort of climate activist, social justice activism, creating change in the world. But I wanted to do it in such a way that I wasn't sacrificing myself, that I wasn't driving myself, my health into the ground. And so I was on a quest to continue healing myself, but also figure out how to change the world, to create change in the world without sacrificing my health and mental well-being. So that was just kind of like the question in the back of my head during this time. And I started feeling like myself again pretty quickly once I started traveling. My energy was coming back. My passion was coming back. I got to work on some awesome volunteer projects in in Vietnam and in Nepal. And then also in Nepal, I was really able to experience the Ayurvedic way of life. It's something that I had heard about while taking yoga classes and meditation classes back in New York, but here I actually saw Ayurveda lived out. And if you're not familiar with what Ayurveda is, it is the ancient holistic medical system that was developed over thousands of years on the Indian subcontinent and codified or written down about 3,000 years ago. And it's just the way of life in Nepal. So that was really cool. So I'm considering during this time, like, what do I want to do next? What do I like even? Like trying to just get back in touch with my intuition and my inner voice. And I started teaching English online after the savings began to really dwindle. And then I launched a graphic design and illustration business. I really thought that that was my dream, but I had been scared to do it. So I built that business. It became quite successful. I was supporting myself with it. But for a number of reasons, I realized that it wasn't going to be long term. I wanted to help people in like a more deep and direct way. And also monetizing my art kind of took the joy out of it. So again, I kind of went back to the drawing board and I'm like, all right, so... This, what I thought was my dream job, graphic design, illustration, is not my dream job. So what do I want to do next? And I felt really lost at that time because at that point I was like, will I ever figure this out? Will I ever figure out what I want to do with my life? Around that time, I lived with some shamans in Peru for about a a month um, and went on some ayahuasca journeys and 
was able to kind of sort some things out through that. Also went on some huge hiking trips, some solo where I was able to just do a lot of thinking and give myself space and time to figure out what I wanted to do next. And I realized around that time too, a couple more things about my life purpose. One that our life purpose is not one thing that we can discover and then just go for the rest of our lives. Our life purpose is constantly evolving as we are. And like I mentioned before, my life purpose is not completely wrapped up in my career. My career is just a little piece (laughs) of the way that I can express my purpose. And so again, our life purpose and all of this is just evolving along as we are. It's not this one thing. And so that took a lot of pressure off of me, which was wonderful. And I remember I was sitting in this hostel in PSAC and I was chatting with um, my best friend like every day. And I was also journaling about this all the time. I was taking like strengths tests, personality tests, just trying to figure out what am I going to do next for work? What am I going to do next in my career? And just really this big identity shift. And so the way that I see identity really kind of changed during that time. And I realized that I needed to keep my identity flexible. There's this beautiful Buddhist philosophy about holding our beliefs or our identity or or whatnot, our perspectives with open hands. And so you can't see me right now, but I'm making this mudra with my hands, holding both hands open to the sky, my palms facing the sky and realizing and taking this approach now with my life of like, I have these beliefs and I have strong beliefs. I have strong perspectives. <laughs> I'm very passionate about my work and what I do, but it's also all held with an open hand. And so as my identity evolves, as my life purpose evolves, that's okay. I can continue to shift and it doesn't need to be this big identity crisis every single time. Through all this job search, you know, trying to figure out like what I might want to do next, I had seen life coaching pop up a number of times when I was taking these like personality tests and, and, you know, career type tests and all these things like life coach kind of kept popping up. But I was really skeptical about it because I was like, okay, you can't get a degree in life coaching. Like this is not a real job because I still had that very academic mindset. But finally... I just finally decided like, you know what, screw it. Like, even if this doesn't fit into what our society deems as like a career that you can like go to school for, even though it doesn't fit into that mold, I'm going to go for it because this seems really awesome. And I found this great year long life coaching training that I began to pursue. I also at that time decided to get more of a formal Ayurveda training. So I went to a two year Ayurvedic school during that time. And continue to kind of wrestle with this big question of like, how can I heal myself physically, mentally, spiritually? And then also, how can I figure out how to create change in the world without sacrificing my health and well-being? And during that time, so with my own personal experiences over those years of traveling and seeing other ways of being and, and learning from other people, and then also my life coach training and starting to work with clients and then my Ayurveda training, starting to work with clients um, from an Ayurvedic perspective over the past, I guess, almost six years now through all of that, I realized that being able to create change in the world without sacrificing my health and well-being boiled down to three basic things. Resilience, 
my mindset, and organizational skills. So resilience meaning our capacity to withstand or recover from obstacles, challenges, difficulties that we face. So an emotional resilience, knowing that I can feel really intense emotions, but then come back to my center and be okay. And also a physical resilience. And I've really developed this by looking to nature and embodying the regenerative cycles of nature in order to keep myself in balance. That's, that's what the Ayurvedic lifestyle is. And then when it comes to mindset, developing a growth mindset so that in spite of the fact that the change that I'm trying to create in the world, right, reversing climate change, or at least minimizing it as much as possible, and dismantling racism and white supremacy culture, like these are huge issues that unfortunately are probably not going to be resolved within my lifetime. So in order to continue working towards those things, I need to have a growth mindset. I need to have resilience in order to continue to work towards these things and truly enjoy my life in the process. I also need, the third thing that I mentioned, organizational skills, which are those those habits and those systems that we can put in place to keep life balance, to be productive and get shit done without burning out again. And so also incorporating, making sure that I'm incorporating rest and joy and play into my life. And through these three things, I've been able to untangle my worth from my work and from whether or not I am productive. And that has been huge because that that is part of that dismantling the conditioning of white supremacy culture of our patriarchal capitalist culture right like dismantling all of that within myself so over the past few years i've been able to to do that for myself to develop the resilience the mindset the organizational skills for myself but then also take that because it's so good i it's just like it's completely transformed my life. So take that. And I've been able to also help clients with that as well. And that has been the most fulfilling, rewarding, amazing thing that I could ever do. And that led me to the work that I do now, right? So after studying this for years, I have been helping clients with it. I guess, let's see, I've been life coaching now for over three years and working with clients from the more Ayurvedic perspective for about two years now. And it's just been absolutely amazing. And so in February, I'm going to be launching the updated version of my life coaching program. I call it Becoming the Change, where we'll focus on these three overarching topics, right? Resiliency, mindset, organizational skills. And of course, there are a lot of other things weaved in there, but that's the overarching framework. I'm really excited about that. I'll tell you more about that in future episodes and also get on my newsletter so that you can know when the doors to that program are opening. That brings us to now, to the present. I am still a nomad. (laughs) I'm hoping to settle down later this year. We're hoping to settle down in Germany in September. I married the man of my dreams in July. He's also a activist um, and environmentalist and social justice issues are very near and dear to his heart too. We're settling in Germany because he's going to be retraining and doing a program all about sustainable agriculture and how to fix our food systems. So that's really exciting. But 
Before that, in about a month, I will be going to Guatemala to help with a project down there. And I'll tell you a bit more about that in a future episode. This episode is getting long, so I'm going to go ahead and end it here. That is my life story in a nutshell. Of course, there's so much more I could share, and I'll continue sharing from my life and my experiences on the podcast because I know for me that's really powerful when I hear other people's stories. And I hope that a few of the life lessons and experiences that I shared with you today really resonated or inspired you in some way. And I hope that you know me and my heart a bit better now too. So with that, I will say goodbye. I hope that you have a wonderful week and that your new year is off to a great start. And I will be back in your ears next week. Ciao. If you enjoyed this episode, I want to invite you to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss an episode. And if you desire more support on your changemaker journey, please check out my free guide, self-care for changemakers. You can find the guide and other goodies on my website at happymehappyearth.com. It's an honor to be in your ears. Thank you so much for listening.